Good morning. Excellent. You hear me nice and clearly? At the back, at the sides, and at the front? Good. Excellent. Well, let me start by telling you a story. A good friend of mine, who I work very closely with, uh, had the opportunity uh, not too long, a couple of years ago now, to meet with J.K. Rowling. Whoa. So for those of you that don't know, which I shouldn't imagine there is very few, uh, if anyone, J.K. Rowling is probably one of the most influential British writers in the last 10 years. Would you agree with that? Yes. All right. Thank you. Cheers. Um, so J.K. Rowling, a hugely influential writer. My good friend had the opportunity to meet with her a couple of years back. Uh, it was a book signing, so it, doesn't, it wasn't like coffee. Um, but anyway, a book signing. He was going to take his family. He's got two stepchildren and his wife. And so they made their way to London to this book signing. And he, uh, and he says to his family, he says to his children, listen, obviously this is J.K. Rowling. This is very exciting. Now, please don't be strange. Don't do anything weird. I don't know how many times you may have told your own children that. I do that daily. Uh, my wife, hourly. Um, <laughs> so he tells his children, listen. Uh, no, she tells our kids. Let's not get into that. Anyhow, so he tells his children, don't do anything strange. Don't do anything weird. Be friendly. Be polite. Tell her your names and something that perhaps you enjoyed about her stories. Okay, great. Um, so they set off, they're on their way. Now they reach London and they join the, wherever it is, this, 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 this room that they're in, and they join the back of the queue. And again, they're making their way through the queue. And he says to his children, just don't do anything weird, right? Nothing strange. Don't do anything that you wouldn't do at home in front of your parents. Don't just, just be friendly, be polite, make conversation, tell her your names, tell her something you love about the book. So the kids are like, great, great. The kids reach the front of the queue, and they are polite, and they are friendly, and they introduce themselves, and they're absolutely lovely. Then my friend, it's his turn. Now, I, my friend is in his 50s, and he says to J.K. Rowling, his opening gambit to her, I love you so much. <laughs> I don't know, perhaps you've had a, a situation that is similar to that, where you're going to meet with someone that you've aspired to or you have admired from a distance. Perhaps there's someone that you hold in high honour, have high respect or regard for, and you come to meet them and you get tongue-tied. And in the moment, your emotions just go, and you don't know what to make of yourself, and conversation goes out the window. I have this almost on a weekly basis with one of my employers. Um, I work for a very famous DJ um, who was very big in the 90s and early 2000s. And uh, I work mostly for his wife. His, his wife employs us and deals with us. Every time I see him, I get tongue-tied. Hello, John, how are you doing today? I, 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 the, the, the weather's really nice today, I think. Uh, the weather's good. I mean, who, how many of us turn to the weather, right? If in doubt, look at the sky. <laughs> it's raining again. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think you must think I'm obsessed with the weather, <laughs> which, to be fair, as a gardener, I am. It occupies most of my thoughts. Anyhow, many of us can relate to that feeling of, oh my goodness, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to handle my emotions. Well, I don't know if you've ever pictured what you might say to God if you were to meet him one day. One day, we will, it, the Bible tells us that one day we will stand before his throne. I don't know if you could imagine 2,000 years ago, what it might have been like to be walking alongside Jesus, what conversations you might have had, what might you have asked him, what might you say to him when you meet him on judgment day? 
These co- I, I wonder about these things from time to time. I wonder if you do as well. Well, in the last seven weeks, we've looked at Jesus as the centerpiece of Scripture. We've looked at him as the light of the world, the bread of life. We've studied him as the one who befriends sinners, the one who seeks and saves the lost. And this morning, I want us to go under the surface. This morning, I want us to look under the skin of Jesus. I want us to look at Jesus' emotional life. I don't know if you're like me and you hear that word and go, yay, woo, thumbs up, it's going to be good. (laughs) Excellent. Well, Jesus had emotions like all of us. Jesus was human. He was born of a woman. He had emotions just the same way as us. And some of us are really good at talking about our emotions. Some of us are really good at expressing our emotions. And other of us are a bit uh, more withheld, withdraw a bit. They're not so... Not so happy to tell people how they are. I am one of those people that if you ask me how my week was, I'll tell you all about it. It was flipping awful. It rained all week. I got wet through, and I'll just rant for half an hour about how I'm feeling about the weather. I have a, I'm married to a wonderful woman who is much more reserved. And if I want to find out how she's feeling, I have to dig a little deeper. Now, perhaps you might... Uh, maybe you say, I, I'm more like Jez, I'm flamboyant and excitable. Or perhaps you might say, I'm more like my wife, Abby, and I'm more reserved. I don't go around telling you all how I'm feeling. I, you don't need to know. Um, some of us find it easier than others. But I want to say this, that whether you're a Christian in the room or you say, actually, I'm not, I'm just checking it out. Wherever you're at in this faith journey or what it is, we are all emotional creatures. Every single one of us experiences emotions. Every single one of us has to engage with our emotions on a daily basis. This morning, we're going to look at several passages in the book of Mark, where we see how Jesus engages with his emotions. We see how Jesus responds when confronted with suffering and pain. We see how Jesus responds when he sees hurt and people that need healing. So we're going to look at under the skin at Jesus' character. Now, we are emotionally complex. Uh, I don't feel like you need a scientist to tell you that. But I've done that this morning, and I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll find a really abstract image for us to look at and get confused by. So, John, if you wouldn't mind putting up this... um, There you go. This is Plutchik's Wheel of Emotion. And it is relevant for us. I'll tell you why it's relevant for us. This is... We are, as complex creatures, we have a range of different emotions that we go through daily. Now, on the center of the circle, you can see rage, vigilance, ecstasy, admiration. They're sort of the raw emotions. They are the emotions at their most raw... at their most raw point. And towards the edge, you've got the more subtle. So acceptance leads to trust, which leads to adoration or admiration. Or you have, further down, you have apprehension, which leads to fear, and the more extreme version of that is terror. Okay, can you see what it is, where it's pointing? You read that? (coughs) Now, the point of what I'm showing you is that we are complex creatures. We have these complex emotions that we go through. And I want us to see that actually God has created us with these. It wasn't like a byproduct of being alive. You're not alive and because you're alive you have feelings. Actually, no. When God designed you and I, he designed us to feel and to express our emotions. He designed us to be this complex. 
Now, all these emotions are a gift from God, whether it be anger or fear, sorrow or happiness, like or dislike. All these things are good. It's how we respond to them, which is where we often fail and when we find ourselves having to pick ourselves off the floor all the time. Uh, for example, so I am taking my chainsaw license next week, which is very exciting. I've gotten like a little child again. I'm super excited. But so when you are using a chainsaw, there is an element of fear involved. You are using a tool that can potentially kill you if you are not careful or if you are careless. So there is an underlying element of fear every time I use a chainsaw. That is a good thing. That is my body telling me, be careful, don't kill yourself. Now, if, for example, however, I'm at church and it's a baptism Sunday, and I know that there are people in the room that don't love Jesus or are checking out church for the first time, and I am fearful to put up my hands in worship, that is not a good thing. That's, that's me allowing fear to restrict how I want to express myself. Another example might be anger. Now, anger can often be seen as this is a bad thing. Anger is a bad thing. That's not true at all. Anger is a good thing. In fact, I'm sure we've seen in the last teaching series, that in the last couple of weeks, anger, when done righteously or when done well, is a good thing. So, for example, anger over injustice, that is a good thing. Anger over people being hurt or mistreated, that is a good thing. But anger over when, say, my employer comes up to me and says, you're doing that badly, you should consider doing this, that is a bad thing. Or anger when my son, which he did this morning, spills a drink of tea all over my notes, and I flip out, what are you doing? That is a bad thing. That is me losing control. Now, I want us to jump into the Bible and see from a couple of points how Jesus responds to his emotions. So the, 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 the reading is going to come up on the screen behind me, but if you've got a Bible or a phone, feel free to turn to Mark 3. In the first of our readings, we see how Jesus responds to this scenario. So Mark 3, verses 1 to 6, and it says this. Again, he entered the synagogue. Jesus entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus, they being the religious scholars of the day, the religious leaders. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day of rest. Shouldn't do anything on the Sabbath, should just rest. So that they might accuse him. And Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, he said to the teachers, the religious leaders, tell me, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill. They were silent. And he looked round at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out immediately. They held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. I'd like to point out something in this passage. It doesn't explicitly say it in the text, but what we see here is Jesus is moved to heal a man. Jesus heals a man, and I can only imagine that he does so out of pity or sadness for this man's disability. We see a number of other examples within a few chapters of here where it says that Jesus felt pity or Jesus felt compassion. But one of the ones to note 
is that Jesus is led by these emotions, knowing that in doing so, it is going to cause offense. Jesus responds to his emotions, even though in doing so, it is going to cause offense. And I think that's an important distinction to draw out. Jesus allows himself to submit, or allows himself to feel things in order to see this man healed. I want to say that there perhaps there are two uh, personality types in this room. Uh, uh, these are, I'm going to say actually these are two extreme personality types, and I'm casting broad brushstrokes here. Uh, but I want to say that there are heart people, people that respond heart out of the heart, and that there are head people. I want to say that heart people, perhaps heart people respond to every whim of feeling. If they're happy, sad, perhaps you can picture in your mind someone who's a heart person, someone who responds from the heart, someone who's just all out there, just projecting their emotions. This is how I'm feeling, this is how I'm feeling. Perhaps their Twitter accounts or their their Facebook accounts are constantly emojis, blooming emojis crop up everywhere. Happy face, sad face, angry face. Poo, like whatever. <laughs> the people are, these people, perhaps you can know who they are, perhaps in, even in the room, like, him. Well, I want to put to you that they, those people can generally lean towards being impulsive people. They make a decision on the spot and they go for it, all guns blazing. Or I say that they might, they would say, well, I have the freedom to express myself. I have a license to say and do as I please. I. I want to express how I'm feeling. I'm going to do that, regardless of what it, how it affects you. Uh, I want to say that perhaps the head people, they would be a bit more reserved. They would be c- more concerned about how this looks and how this affects others. Perhaps head people, I, I, actually I, I can think of my dad as, <laughs> as a more of a head sort of person. Someone who is very hard to read, has a good poker face. Again, perhaps there are a few of you who think, yeah, that's my dad. <laughs> I don't know why I put men in that category, and I didn't put women over there, by the way. Um, but I wonder, I wonder are there are people like that in your lives that you think, my dad is like that, or I've got a friend, my, my boss, it's just the hardest person to read. I don't know if I've pleased him, I don't know if I've done something well. And, and, and hard people can be incredibly infuriated by these people, because they just won't tell you how they're feeling. I just, just show me some humanity. And, not, and, I, and head people are like, man, psst, just chill out. It's all right, step back, breathe. Uh, and then perhaps you might say, oh, I'm a mixture of both. I'm here, not there. These, like I said, are two extremes, two extreme categories. In fact, I've got a couple of people that I wanted to put up. Um, so if we could put up the first, this is the lovely Theresa May. Now, she has, I'm not going to draw any, I'm not going to say anything political, but I wanted to say, is she has been, a, is it the Mobot or the Maybot? Who's heard that expression? Nobody? Great. <laughs> okay, so in the newspapers, I read anyway, they s- they've been referring to Theresa May as the Maybot. I think it's the Mobot is a dance, isn't it, that Mo Farah does? Anyway, it's not that. It's the Maybot. So they've been likening her to a robot because they say that she is emotionally void, which, I, for good or bad, I'm not going to judge. I don't, I'm not going to get into that. But so they would accuse her of being emotionally void, hard to read, doesn't in touch with her emotions. No one knows where she's at. Okay. All right. And here's another person that I want to put up. This would be Donald Trump. Again, nothing political here. But here is someone who has control of his own Twitter account. That's interesting. First president to do that. He has control of his own Twitter account. He regularly updates you on what's right and what is wrong. Uh, in fact, my favorite, my absolute favorite quote from Donald Trump is when the, the nuclear crisis came to a head maybe a couple of weeks back or a month back, two months back. 
and uh, and Kim Jong-un, is that right? Kim Jong-un? He said, I've, he's having his nuclear test and showing everyone his big nuclear weapons and tells everyone that he's got a nuclear button. And so Donald Trump's response is classic, absolutely brilliant. He says, I have a bigger button. <laughs> <I'm not laughs> Well done, you haven't, you haven't resolved the scenario here. Everyone's getting more tetchy. But anyway, so there is two people that I would say are different ends of this spectrum. Donald Trump, perhaps more impulsive, more heart-like in his emotions. Theresa May, perhaps more cautious, more reserved. Um, perhaps you'd say that British people in general, doesn't matter. Anyway, in both circumstances, whether you would consider yourself one of these people, one of these people, I'd say these are, they are an aspect of our humanity. They are something that we were raised with, whether it's nature or nurture. They, uh, some of us will be like that because of the way we've been raised, the way we've been parented, the way we've seen things happen in our own lives. They are neither good, it's not, good, it's not, it's not like it's bad to be that person and good to be this person, not like it's good to be a heart person and bad to be a head person. It's not good to be, a, it's not like it's, oh, the aspiration is therefore to be somewhere in the middle. I just want to say that these are two different ways of handling ourselves, and they often are a way in which we've been raised. They're a result of the things that we've been through in our lives. Well, like I said earlier, we can respond badly to our emotions, and what we saw in that picture there with the passage was Jesus responding to his emotions in spite of other people, knowing it's going to cause offense. Well, I had an experience a couple of weeks, months, months ago now, a couple of months, let's go further back actually, I've changed since then, where uh, I, I, I was playing with the boys, I got home from work, it was probably gone five o'clock, six o'clock maybe in the evening, playing with the boys before dinner time, and I was up in their boys' bedroom, and Levi and Joe were playing together, and Joe did something that upset Levi, Levi turned in his anger and punched Joe in the face. I was furious. I was angry at what he had done. I was angry at the injustice, and I responded unjustly. But what we saw in the passage was Jesus reacting, I would say, impulsively to his emotions in spite of these people. But it's to bless. See, Jesus responds from his heart in order to bring healing, in order to bring blessing to this man who is crippled. I want us to look at another passage in Mark 6, verse 30. And we see Jesus' compassion here. I believe it's going to come up on the screen. Mark 6, verse 30. Yeah. Okay, it says this. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place. Rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure to eat, even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from the towns, and they got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, Jesus saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late sends them away to the surrounding countrysides and villages to buy something to eat. And Jesus answers, you go and get them something to eat. And what happens then in the later passage that follows is he then breaks bread and feeds them. Now, I've drawn this passage out, and what I want us to see from this passage is, again, Jesus is moved by his emotions. 
Jesus feels compassion and he reacts to it. He doesn't hold off, he reacts. Jesus feels the compassion on these people. He's, they are like sheep without a shepherd. He wants to love them. He wants to care for them. He wants to teach them and pastor them and help them. And what's interesting is that we see here, as it starts the passage, is they are tired and they need a rest. They are tired and hungry and they need a rest. What does it say? It says, um, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. Because many are coming and going and they haven't had a chance even to eat. So they are hungry and they are weary. I don't know if you've ever felt that emotionally drained. That's an expression I throw around quite a lot at home. I feel emotionally drained, especially after a Saturday with the boys. I feel emotionally drained. I'm exhausted. This is harder than it was working. I've been felling trees all week, but now I'm knackered. And perhaps you can experience that. Dealing with people is emotionally draining. But Jesus, rather than, uh, do you know, I'm tired, guys, and I'm hungry. I'm going to go. He responds to the compassion in his heart to help and serve this group of people. His compassion, Jesus' compassion, overrides his need for food or sleep in this instance. That's, that's amazing. How often do we act that selflessly? Is that something that you can say of yourself? I will often, regardless of how I'm feeling, drop it all and help. Now Jesus is urged by his compassion. He feels pity. He wants to help these people. Well, we're going to look at one more passage together, which is entirely different. This is different in every way, this passage. We're going to turn to Mark 14 now. In Mark 14, Jesus is in a place called Gethsemane, verse 32. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell to the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. This is uh, possibly one of the strongest emotions we see Jesus feel. Or well, certainly, to, as I read that, you can can you feel the weight of it? He says, "My soul is greatly distressed and troubled," and he says again, "My soul is sorrowful, even to death." Uh, there's an NIV version which says. Um, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow even to death. In the parallel passage in Luke, we read he sweat drops of blood. I quickly did a quick research on this. I was interested by that. And uh, I'm going to try and pronounce this right, but it's hematohydrosis. Hematohydrosis. And it's a rare form. But when I searched it, the, the computer told me this was a very rare form that happens only under extreme emotional or physical stress. What we get a snapshot in this passage in Gethsemane is Jesus under immense emotional stress. His soul is greatly troubled. He is very sorrowful. 
He's sweating drops of blood. Jesus, um, Jesus knows well the stories of the Old Testament. He knows all about who he is. He knows his mission on earth. He knows why he's here. He's read about the Passover lamb. He's read about sacrifice and the need for sacrifice to atone for wrong and sin and the things that we get badly done wrong. He knows all this. He knows who he is. And it says the hour has now arrived. It says the hour, take my cup that this hour might pass from me. He knows where he's at now. He knows these are the closing moments of his life. He knows what he's about to endure. He knows about the separation that is going to happen. He knows that he's going to have the sins of the world piled upon him and experience extreme torment and separation from the Father, his Father, who he has been in relationship for the past eternity. He is feeling immense emotional stress. A week before my A-levels, I had a hockey game. This isn't a parallel. <laughs> A week before my emotions, uh, a, week before, a week before my A-levels, I had a hockey game. Now, those of you who know, I play roller hockey, and I've been playing for the last 20 odd years, but I was about to be eight, I was 18, had my A-levels ahead of me, and I had this hockey game, and um, we were playing, I played for Pool Sharks, and we were going to play Applemore in Southampton. And we went down there, and my grandparents came along. This is the first time they'd seen me and my brother play. Uh, we and, and emotions were high. I was on show to not only my parents, but my grandparents also. And uh, it was, it was a, an important game for us at the Pool Sharks. And so we, start, we didn't even start the game. We started warming up. And, and I just pretty similar to football. Before, in the warm-up session, before the game, you pass the pucks around. You're knocking pucks between each other. And you're taking shots on goal, warming up the goalkeeper. Now, every shot I took, I was pinging it off miles away. Nowhere near the goal. I was getting angry and angry. My grandparents are up in the stands watching. I was thinking, this looks really bad. I'm much better than this. And I'm pinging shots everywhere, left, right, and center, but not in the goal. And I was getting up more and more upset. In the end, I threw my stick to the floor. I skated as fast as I could to the wall and then punched the wall as hard as I could. I shattered the bones in my wrist and my forearm and I had to spend my A-levels with a scribe. who Basically, I said to the scribe, I would like to learn geography, and she writes, I would like to learn geography. So this was a result of me losing my cool under high emotional stress. I wasn't sweating drops of blood, but I was stressed. Jesus here is sweating drops of blood. He's under intense emotional stress, and he wrestles with his emotions. You hear him speaking out, I'm greatly troubled, I'm greatly sorrowful. He wrestles with them, but what he does then is so beautiful and so interesting. He submits them. Yet not my will, but your will. Now Jesus' emotions would naturally, their natural, I guess, progression would be flee. Or perhaps fight. But Jesus does neither. He submits his emotions to God. And he goes off with the people who have come to take him away. There's an interesting verse, a couple of verses later. It says this in 1446. And they laid hands on him, Jesus, and they seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest's ear and cut uh, sorry, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now Peter, this is Peter. Peter is aware of the emotional stress of the, in the environment. He's in the room, as it were. And he's feeling it. And his reaction 
is to fight. His reaction is to fight. He doesn't wrestle with his feelings. He doesn't submit them. And I can tell you how many times, in fact, in the examples already given, how I have reacted just like Peter. I wonder ourselves, how many times we act just like Peter? What we see in Jesus is a much better way. In the heat of the moment, Jesus submits his feelings. The answer is not, I need to be more head and more reserved. The answer is not, I need to be more emotive, more in touch with my emotions. The answer is not even, I need to be a good, I need to even balance of both. No, the answer is submission. The answer is submission. What Jesus models for us is submission. Submit our emotions to God. See, our emotions are helpful gauges and guides, but they're not God's. Our emotions are there to tell us what is right and what is wrong, to help us express that, but they're not meant to be God's to us. We still must submit them like Jesus does. Jesus always submits his emotions to his Father's will. In Mark 3, he does that by submitting to God's moral law, which is to do good and to do bless, rather than to the ceremonial law, which was to keep the Sabbath, knowing he was going to upset people. In Mark 3, we saw that, didn't we? He, rather than being more concerned about the ceremonial law, keep the Sabbath, he submits to God's emotional law, moral law, which is to do good, to do bless. In Mark 6, we see Jesus, again, his emotions motivate him in spite of his tiredness and his hunger. Again, his emotions motivate him to love and to bless the crowd, to teach and spend time with him. And in 14, in Mark 14, we saw how his emotions, though they conflict with God's plan, what he does is he submits them to his Father. Where his emotions conflict, he submits them. The writer in Hebrews 4, he tells us that in Jesus we have a high priest or a, a mediator, someone who goes between us and the Father, someone who goes between us and God, who is able to sympathize with us, having been tempted in every way like we are. As we've seen, Jesus is an emotional man. He is fully emotional. He was grieved with apathy towards God. He was angered by hypocrisy. He wept at the funeral of a friend. He was moved by compassion and pity to heal people. He was full of the oil of gladness, the Psalms tell us, which means he's a really joyful guy. He was moved by compassion to heal and had pity. He was overwhelmed with sorrow at the cross, and it says he despised its shame. Jesus was fully emotional, just like us. We can take comfort in knowing that God has been there. God has experienced what we experience on a day-to-day. God teaches us not to squash or quash our emotions, but in every instance to engage and to submit them to God. That Our emotions do not lead us into sin, but help us to care for the things that God cares about. Justice. Equality. Love, to care for the poor. These things should motivate and move us. We should find our emotions being triggered by the poor, by the marginalized and the oppressed. We should find our angers being excited 
by injustice and hatred in the world. Jesus models us such a beautiful way in which we start to engage with our emotions. We needn't let them rule our lives. As I've been studying, the, I just feel a new sense of, for myself, I want to get this right. This is something I care about, and I care about it because God cared about it. God loves justice and equality. He loves the poor, the marginalized, and the oppressed. And our emotions are there to help trigger that same love for them, to love God and to love his people. 